Thank you, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to dispense with the elegant introductions as I am under this eight-minute uh, time warning. And I have uh, just about eight minutes' worth of talk at you. I want to speak particularly to the younger people here. Uh, this whole uh, meeting, this assemblage, this rather strange but wonderful meeting in the mountains is about success. And uh, you, I take it, are marked for success or you wouldn't be here. Uh, so I thought it might be uh, reassuring in some vague sense if I talked about the presidents of the United States, since uh, they're generally thought in America to represent the very quintessence of success. I've written about and uh, watched close up uh, nine presidents of the United States, and in some sense have known uh, five of them personally, to the extent that you can ever know a president personally. In some cases, I suspect their wives never knew them personally. <clears throat> I started with General Eisenhower, who was uh, almost old enough to be my grandfather when I came to Washington in 1954, and now have worked myself down to Bill Clinton. I, uh, <clears throat> I don't mean to suggest to impute any criticism to Bill Clinton. By working myself down, I meant only to suggest that whereas General Eisenhower was old enough to have been my grandfather, uh, Bill Clinton is young enough to be my son. In fact, I have three children who are only uh, slightly younger than Bill Clinton. And uh, when he was elected, I said to my wife, Good Lord, we're now being governed by the people we used to spank. <laughs> I tell you all this uh, only to uh, illustrate the span of the time in which I dealt with these presidents. And what I discovered in every case was that in every one of these august men, uh, and my view of the presidency when I first came to Washington was one of total awe, because I grew up in the age of Franklin Roosevelt, who had been president forever, absolutely forever. And in those days, you assumed he would be president forever. One of the great shocks of my life was the death of Franklin Roosevelt, because you assumed uh, that uh, God didn't die, and neither did Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, I... Uh, coming out of this uh, piece of American history, looked on the presidency as an awesome institution filled with superhuman men. What I discovered was something quite different, and that was that in every one of these men whom I originally thought of as august, there was a boy struggling to get out. The somber old men whose bodies uh, these boys were inhabiting, were imprisoned in some sense, often having a hard time holding him in. It was JFK with his famous womanizing, an extremely boyish attitude toward life, women, 
and I might say the presidency of the United States. LBJ with that boyish determination that he's not going to be the first guy to lose a war. And Nixon's boyish insistence on showing him. He's going to show him. All of those other kids who were better than he was at football, smoother than he was at the prom, had more girls than he did. He was going to show them. One way or another, he's going to show them. There's a boy there. Ford, my favorite president in some ways, uh, he was the Eagle Scout. Absolutely secure in the belief, in the purity of his ideas and their good sense. Reagan, the most popular kid in the class. Everybody loved him. Everything had always been easy for him. And everything rolled off him. You know that guy. He was the man whose picture appeared in this high school yearbook in at least 15 places. <laughs> chairman of the prom. Most likely to succeed, probably. Frank Bush. Frank Bush. Uh, that's an interesting Freudian slip, because I think of Frank Merriwell, complete gentleman sportsman, still at Yale. <laughs> now, all I want to say to you is that all of these people who once seemed so awesome to me could have been you. I don't want to push this too far. They lived more than you've lived, so they knew more than you know now. But the gap between them and you, between you and us, in fact, who are up here talking down at you with our medals and these foolish things, you're a closer to being us, closer even to being presidents, then you're now able to guess. So much closer, in fact, I suspect, that if you had livelier imaginations, it would scare the hell out of you. So my caution to you is quite simple, and this is all I want to say. Don't be awed. Don't be awed by the successful people who run the world. They're just people, just like you. They may look old, important, wise, famous, may be surrounded by policemen, bodyguards, flunkies, ashtray holders. <laughs> but inside all of them, there's that youngster, very much like you, trying to get out. Remember that about them. Now, that's all I'm going to have to say in a formal presentation. If anybody would like to pose a question, we have about 30 seconds, I suppose. We have a little more than 30 seconds. The silence is tremendous. Somebody, yes, you have a question.
Did everybody hear the question? Did I just, didn't I just make the best possible argument for a girl to be president? I, as a matter of fact, when I was composing these few lines at breakfast this morning, <laughs> I was grateful that no girl has ever become president <clears throat> because I wouldn't have known how to handle what I have to say. But you might as well face it, we are governed by boys. Well, you're expressing a hope uh, that that may not always be, and perhaps uh, that's a sound hope. I'm afraid the drab reality is otherwise. Sir. My name is Colby Keith from Boise, Idaho. I, was no I, was, uh, I noticed that in your recollection, recollection of presidents that you didn't mention anything about Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Did everybody hear that, that I didn't mention Jimmy Carter? Um, not that Jimmy was Jimmy Carter wasn't a boyish chap. <laughs> I have written this column in the New York Times for over 30 years and uh, written a lot about presidents, and I found that whenever I wrote a column about Carter, the column died. <laughs> I could feel people turning the page <laughs> when I first would write President Carter. So I got out of the habit of writing about him. Yes, well, he had become, begun life as a submarine commander. I mean, what could be more boyish than that? To, to want a Captain Nemo. <laughs> Way in the back. I'm sorry, I didn't get what you wanted me to say. Yes, I remember. The American political presidential campaign process. I couldn't do that in, the, in the two days. You wanted the lunacy and the idiocy. It's, it, <laughs> I couldn't possibly do it in two days, much less in the next 20 seconds. Uh, we all know about the American political campaign process. Uh, you will wind up electing uh, people who say they stand for something and, uh, and don't when they get there. I, uh, by way of closing, I uh, want to tell a story about Earl Long. When he was governor of Louisiana, he ran on a uh, pledge that he would not raise taxes. And he was elected and promptly uh, handed the... Uh, state legislature a proposal for a big increase in taxes. And his advisors said, Governor, you can't do this. You've just been elected on a pledge not to raise taxes. And old Earl said, I lied. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.